Well, all right. Good morning. You look good today. How's everybody doing? All right, that's better than I thought. Hey, it's good to see you all today. So glad you're here. It's good to be in the Lord's house. I want to let you know what's going on in the life of our church. So uh, we're in this incredible series called On the Move. We're looking through the Old Testament book of Exodus, right? And uh, we launched into this thing November 5th. So it's been about nine months and we're halfway through. Halfway, okay? Now, uh, as you probably heard, on August 13th, everything kind of changes. And we're going to two identical services. Uh, this service time changes. So it's 8.30 uh, till 10 and 10.30 till 12. There, I got that right. And so a little bit of adjustment for you guys uh, because we want both services to be the same because we want to maximize our space. And so with that, we're, we're uh, offering our children's ministry, preschool ministry, and the uh, early service as well. Uh, the week before, we'll, do, uh, we'll launch kids back to school with a backpack blessing. There's just a lot of things going on, a lot of changes. Well, one of those changes is I'm going to s- step aside from Exodus for a while, and we're going to do a brand new book. This thing starts on August 13th because we want to give you a great reason to invite your friends. And, and, and although holidays are a great reason, reason Christmas and Easter, uh, there's other great reasons. If you start a new sermon series, it's a good time for somebody to come into something fresh. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to be studying about why why we are even here, why there is a thing called the church. We're going to launch into the book of Acts, okay, on August 13th. And I have never preached through the book of Acts, preached sermons from there, never preached through the book. I am totally stoked because the information available on Acts is like 10 to 1, the information available on Exodus for someone who studies. And so I'm excited. I'm going to learn some stuff. You're going to learn some stuff. We're going to learn how to be more pleasing as a church. It's just going to be incredible. So I want you to know what's going on, all right? Now, that means next week I'll do a, a culmination or a summation of, of Exodus, uh, first 20 chapters, and how you and I can be successful living obediently uh, to God. Okay, we'll talk about that next week and then a standalone message on August 6th. So that's what's going on. So you know what's coming, what's in the pipeline. Are you ready for it? All right, me too. So we're in Exodus and we're learning the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments we've been trying to learn with our fingers, with our hands. Number one, there's only one God, have no other God. Number two, two's too many, never bow to another, don't create any graven images. Number three, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's their name. Watch what you say about them, keep his name holy. Number four is two lowercase r's, remember your rest. Remember your rest, keep the Sabbath day holy. Number five, salute, honor your Father and your mother number six no murder number seven sexual relationship is for a man and a woman who are married and not all this other stuff number eight is no stealing it's hard to steal stuff when you ain't got no thumbs number nine is this uh oh number nine here we are uh, I, I, I swear to tell the truth the whole truth nothing but the truth and number 10 are you ready don't be coveting what everybody else has okay gimme 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 now of all of the ten commandments this one is probably the the getter Okay, this is the getter. This is the one that we've all done and probably have done it maybe as recently as today. Okay, certainly this week, this month, it's something <clears throat> that we ha- all play part of. And, 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 and I know it's real because 3,500 years ago, God ordained this phrase about coveting, this scripture, a, a commandment about coveting because it was real then. Now, I want you to know it's never changed. In fact, 1965, okay, there's a song that's written, and it kind of is about this. Listen to the words. Some of you old people will catch on. When I'm driving in my car, and a man come on the radio, he's telling me 
more and more about some useless information supposed to fire my imagination. When I'm watching my TV and a man comes on and tells me how white my shirts can be, but he can't be a man because he don't, doesn't smoke the same cigarettes as me, I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I try. I can't get no, I can't get no, hey, hey, hey. Anybody familiar with that song? That is the first number one song in America by the Rolling Stones. Now, normally, church wouldn't quote Mick Jagger, okay? But it, that song is pushing back against the advertising world, screaming at him, just like it does us, that they've got the next best thing to make you satisfied, to make you content, and to make you happy. And if you agree, that's the world we live in, say Amen. And no matter where we go until we realize where we can find true contentment and true satisfaction, we're going to keep trying and trying and trying, hey, 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 and we're not going to get there, okay? That's why we live such discontented, unsatisfied lives is because we are looking in the wrong places. So on the back of your life guide today, the title of the message is this, Learning Satisfaction learning satisfaction. I want you to know today, you can be satisfied. You can be content in this world. Regardless of the, what the world says, God's desire for you is for you to be satisfied and for you to be content. And you know, just like I know, that's not, that's a tall order when we consider. So well, if it's so easy and God desires it, why is it, there's always this unrest. There's always seems to be something else, this carrot dangling out there in front of me that seems to be the one. I mean, this is the one. If I get there, then I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be content. I'm going to be satisfied. God says it doesn't work that way. So that's what we're going to talk about. Now, commandment number 10 reads like this in Exodus chapter, verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not cover, covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover, covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything. I'm gonna, this is not in the Bible. I'm going to read this. Like the car, the clothes, the shoes, the condo on the beach, the success, the boat, the good looks, the physique, the job, the family, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I just thought I'd throw that in to help you think about what nor anything else might be. It means anything else that might be. It includes, it's all inclusive. You see, God comes in, he's going to give us some categories to get us thinking in that direction. But then he's going to throw in this broad brush stroke that says anything that somebody else has that you think would make you happy if you had it, that's what we're talking about, becomes covetousness, and it is a sin. Now, commandment number 10 is probably the most difficult because it's stealthy, we don't feel that guilty if we just admire what somebody has. But if we're not careful, that admiration of what somebody else has becomes in us this deep-seated desire that if we had that object, that thing that somebody else has, that is when we would be content. That's when we would find our satisfaction. Paul, the apostle in the New Testament, he writes about it, and he's kind of surprised by it. It seems the way he writes in Romans 7. Paul the Apostle says in verse 7 of Romans 7, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. Certainly I would not have known sin except through law. 
And then he goes on, he says, for indeed, I would not have known what it means to desire something belonging to someone else if the law had not said, do not covet. It's almost like Paul is saying, okay, so I'm reading the law and I'm reading the first nine and I'm like, okay, guilty as charged. Yeah, I kind of knew that one. I expected that was a commandment. I expected that God wouldn't be uh, satisfied with that. But then when I got to 10 about liking, admiring, pursuing what other people had, it's so natural to me, I, I really didn't see that one coming. So if the law had not said coveting other people's things is a sin, Paul says, I probably wouldn't even know it because I don't feel like I'm doing anything wrong when I like what other people have. Covetousness is not about wrongdoing. It's about wrong thinking. It's about priorities and perspectives and and inappropriate desires and being discontent in in more than just creation finding our contentment and, and our satisfaction in the creator of all of creation and so Paul is basically saying you know when I live my life I try and I try and I try and I can't get no satisfaction hey 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 Paul's just like we are now watch this, let's just do a little, and I want you to be transparent, okay? If you've struggled with a desire for things that you don't have, thinking it might make you happy if you did, will you raise your hand? I got mine up, I've raised both mine, I've done that, okay, okay? We've all done it. We've all done it and we continue to do it. So how about God saying, listen, you can be satisfied. You can be content, but you're gonna have to re-educate yourself you're going to have to practice this thing. You're going to have to train yourself in how to do it. So the title of the message is about learning satisfaction. Point number one on the back of your life guide is this. First, we have to define the problem. Define the problem. And when I say define the problem, it's a really big problem. Okay. It, it, it goes through time. It reaches deep. It causes all kinds of problems. It's a problem. And we have to define it well. So, so to do that, uh, let's 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 uh, unpack it by defining the word itself. The word covet, by definition, simply means this: having or showing great desire for something that belongs to someone else. Having or showing great desire for something that belongs to someone else. The materialistic world we live in capitalizes on yours and on my natural discontentment in our own personal humanity. So much so that they hire trained educated professionals to write some groovy little ditty or a jingle or to get a, a beautiful face in front of a product or to get a great testimonial that says if you had this product for Lincoln Continental it might be Matthew McConaughey if you have this product you're going to find satisfaction you're going to find contentment in life paid people. Why? Because they know, they understand based on statistics and research that you and I have this natural desire in us to find satisfaction and contentment. And often we do it through possessions rather than finding it in the truest source of satisfaction and contentment, which is God. You see, they want us to believe that if we have the brightest, biggest, greatest, newest product on the market, we will be happy then. And those around us who see us with the newest, brightest uh, toy in the world, 
They'll want what we have, and so everybody wins, and that's what they want us to believe. So we've got to learn to be satisfied and learn to be content. I read about this one lady who told her husband, you know, when I go to church, I see all those other ladies, and they have beautiful clothes. And I look at those ladies, and they have beautiful shoes. And I wonder, I wish I had those clothes and those shoes. And I wonder if when they look at me, if they just think that lady is just a cook or a housekeeper. To which her husband said, if you invite them home for dinner, they'll know differently. Now that just went right. He missed the whole point. He missed the whole point like some of you did. He missed the whole point of the conversation. Okay. She's expressing this desire for things that she does not have. And that is covetousness. And this prohibition comes in 3,500 years ago by from God himself to challenge and encourage us to realize that the things of this world will come and go, but a relationship and a walk with God extends through all of eternity. And if we can begin to dive into that now, we find satisfaction now. You see, some people think that our relationship, our eternal relationship with God begins the moment our heart stops beating and we go to heaven. But no, our eternal relationship with God begins the moment that we are born again. The moment that he gives us a new life and a new birth through Jesus, his son. And so this sin is about contentment. Did you know that covetousness is the first sin um, recorded in history? I'm not talking about just humanity. It's the first sin recorded in eternity. It, it's old. This thing is not new. And it extends all the ages of time. And so God, looking back in time, before you got here, before, before Adam and Eve got here, before mankind got here, God created another existence or another realm. It's called the angelic realm. And when he created the angelic realm, he created them just like he created you with a purpose. Now, their purpose is different than your purpose. Their purpose was to worship him, God, and to minister to what would ultimately be his family and his children. That was their God. That was their job, their goal, their purpose. And so among them was one particular angel in that realm whose name was Lucifer. And we're going to learn about where covetousness comes from, desiring something passionately that someone else possesses that we do not have. In Ezekiel 28, 28 though, we have to discover who this, who this Lucifer angel is. It's incredible. Listen to what Scripture says about him. Verse 12 of Ezekiel 28, speaking to Lucifer, you were the sealer of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in your beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, the emerald, the crystallite, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, and the beryl. Your settings and mounts were made of gold. And on the day you were created, they were prepared. I placed you there with an anointed guardian cherub. And you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of fiery stones. You were blameless in your behavior from the day you were created. Now listen to me. This is God defining Lucifer, his anointed angel, his cherub. Now listen. He had everything going for him. He's beautiful. Scripture says he's one of the most beautiful angels ever created. 
Other, other scripture points to the fact that he may have actually led parts of the worship of God. He had this anointed position. He had everything. He's beautiful. He's got, I mean, he is all that in a bag of chips he, in the angelic realm. He's everything. But then it says this, until sin was discovered in you. He was perfect and beautiful until sin was discovered in him. Now, what is that sin that would, would draw attention to God in all of this Lucifer's splendor that God would pause and say, until sin was found in you? What, what, what sin would he be guilty of? Because he had everything. <clears throat> what else would he want? He's just like us. God's given us so much. He's blessed us with so many things. And we're still discontent. And sin is found in us. What is that sin? It's covetousness. Isaiah chapter 14. Listen to this covetous story about Lucifer, the beautiful angel. Verse 12 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of morning. How you are cut, cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, here it is, listen to the covetousness. One, I will ascend to heaven. Two, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Three, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Four, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And five, I will be like the most high God. This angel who had literally everything, if anybody should have coveted it, it should have been the other angels looking at Lucifer. But it's Lucifer who was discontent, unsatisfied, and he says, you know what? I want what God has. I'm not happy in the estate he's given me with all the blessings that he's abundantly poured on me. I want more. I want what God has. And that's the first sin. And God responds. He says, nope, that's not why you're here. And in 15, he says, you shall be brought down to Sheol, which is hell, to the lowest depths of the pit. Lucifer tried and he tried and he tried and he just couldn't get no satisfaction. Hey, hey, hey. He's just like the rolling stones and he's just like us. Now, when we, when we, when we look at it from that vantage point, and we see this amazing angel. And it's easy to kind of judge him a little bit. Say, how could he be so stupid? How could he do that? He had everything. And then we turn our view and we look in the mirror and we say, oh, I've done that too. So once again, if you've ever wanted something you didn't have and thought it would make you happy, raise your hand. We know it's real. How do I know it's real? Because I have grandchildren. How do I know it's real? I raised children. If you've been around a four-year-old, a three-year-old, a five-year-old, a 22-year-old, that's what it looks like, okay? My little, one of my grandsons will have five, ten toys. I don't know. He'll have a whole pack of them, right? Just playing, playing, playing. And then another of the grandchildren will come over and pick up one, not, not drawing them from his ten, out of the box. And all of a sudden, the, little, the grandson who has ten toys will realize that one toy, I didn't know that was in there. That's the one that would make me happy. So what am I going to do? I'm going to take it away. And so he goes and takes that toy, and the battle begins, okay? Now, you know that's real, okay? It's in our heart, okay? So we have to train ourselves. We have to learn how to be satisfied. Now, in the commandment, chapter 20, 
God gives some categories to get us going, right? He says, first of all, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. So how do we covet our neighbor's house? It sounds like this. Wow, man, I love their house. It's got an open floor plan. It's got granite countertops. It's got a nice walk-in shower. It's got hardwood floors. It's got a beautiful yard. I wish I had that house. In fact, if I had that house, I would be happy then. And then God says, don't covet your neighbor's spouse. It sounds like this. Wow, look at his wife. She always looks good. He plays golf or fishes three evenings a week. She never complains. She is so nice to him all the time. She's always bragging about her husband. If I had that wife, I'd be happy then. Or, wow, look at her husband. He is such a good dad to the children. And he's always so kind to her. He works hard. He's handsome, but he's sensitive and caring too. Uh, He never mentions anything about her spending habits. Wow, if I had her husband, I'd be happy then. What about help, maids and servants? Wow, they're doing so good financially that they have a a maid to clean their house. And they have a guy to cut their grass. And they have somebody who cleans their pool. I wish I had somebody to clean my house. I wish I had somebody to mow my grass. I wish I just had a pool. If I had those things, I'd be happy then. What about the ox and the donkey? Wow, did you see where he just bought himself a new ox? It's a three-quarter ton diesel ox. And when he went to buy it, he also bought her a new donkey. It's got a sunroof and heated and cooled seats. They traded their old ox and donkey, and neither one of them had over 30,000 miles. I wish I had a new ox and a new donkey in my garage, and I would be happy then. That's what it looks like in our world today. We look at what our neighbor has, and we think they seem happy with that. If I had that, I would be happy then. And then he says, God in scripture, as if that's not enough to make us guilty a little bit. Then he throws in this broad brush stroke and he says, oh yeah, and anything else they have, yeah, that would be covetousness as well. Like what? I wish I looked like that. I wish I was built like that. I wish I had a job like that. I wish I had a family like that. I wish I could go on a trip like that. And it even happens in ministry, just so you know it's real. In the preacher's world, sometimes it sounds like this. I wish my ministry was as big as that ministry. I wish we had as many baptisms as that other church. I wish we had the resources and as many people were giving as that church has. I wish we had, uh, I wish I could preach like that. I wish my church was located there. I wish I had that church family. Meanwhile, commandment number 10 says, nope, you can't say any of that stuff and you can't think any of that stuff or you are guilty of the sin of covetousness. Ouch. Amen? If you've ever done anything like that, just say amen. See, I can't see your hands. Nobody can see your hands. So nobody knows you're guilty. So just if you've ever done that, say amen. See, most of us have owned it. Some of us, the reason we don't covet anything 
It's because we've already bought everything and everything, everybody's coveting what we have. So that's a sin too. That's all idolatry, but we've already covered that. I'll keep moving. Now, so what we need to know is now that we've looked at the earliest record of it in Lucifer, we realize it's a current problem for us. I want you to know, all between Lucifer in the angelic realm and you and I today in our realm, it's been a problem. When you read the Bible, you find out in the Garden of Eden, Eve and Adam, Eve was deceived and Adam followed Eve and, and they partook of the forbidden fruit. Why? Because they coveted what God said they couldn't have. And you keep reading and you find Cain and Abel. Cain coveted what Abel had and he murdered him. You keep reading and you find out that Joseph's brothers coveted the, the, the love that their father Jacob gave to Joseph. So they sold him into slavery. Joseph arrives in Egypt and, and uh, Potiphar's wife wants to have relationship. with. She coveted this relationship with this young man. Adulterous relationship and, and she couldn't have it so Joseph went to jail. Ultimately, um, Pharaoh will covet the slave labor of Israel, but God will release them. David coveted Bathsheba, lost his career, lost a child, and Uriah, her husband, was murdered. Discontentment and dissatisfaction, trying to be satisfied with what other people have is as prevalent and today as it ever was, and it's never missed a beat. And until the Lord Jesus returns, it will continually be a battle that you and I must face. Must face. It's called materialism. That's what we know it by today, which is by definition a, a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. If I have the newest, the biggest, the most impressive if I have houses and cars and boats and campers and ATVs and club memberships and fancy phones and appliances and gadgets, somehow when I accumulate these things, then I will be satisfied and I will be happy. And God says it doesn't work that way. Now, let me be real clear. There's nothing wrong with nice things. There's nothing wrong with a nice house. There's nothing wrong with a nice car. There's nothing wrong with the newest smartphone or a watch that tells you that works as a phone, okay? There's nothing wrong with the gadgets of the world and the fast computers. It's when those things are in pursuit of a discontent, unsatisfied heart, that's when it becomes wrong and it becomes covetousness. When a person sometimes thinks that, well, if I had that, then I would be happy, then covetousness happens so how do we know whether or not we're guilty of the sin of coveting if we have a recurring desire for what we do not have we may have been bitten by the bug of covetousness if we have and keep more than we give away we may have been bitten by the bug of covetousness if we spend time looking for new ways to find contentment and satisfaction in our life we may have been bitten by the bug of covetousness. A person who has nothing but desires what they do not have may struggle with coveting. A person who has a lot, who has much, but still pursues more may struggle with coveting. A person who has everything and finds that everything is never quite enough may struggle with coveting. So discontentment and covetousness always run alongside each other on parallel tracks. 
If you can get a handle on your discontentment, you get a handle on coveting. If you can get a handle on being satisfied, you can get a handle on coveting. And so once we've defined the problem, number two on the back of your life guide, we've got to determine our priorities. We've got to determine our priorities because avoiding the sin of covetousness hinges on our ability to find value and joy and contentment. Listen, in God and God alone. That's the only place you'll ever find it. You, I've, I've pursued it, you've pursued it. We search for this thing that's gonna make us happy. God and God alone is the source of our joy, our contentment, and our happiness. And so God has to be our source. So how do we do that? <clears throat> how, how do we determine our priorities correctly? Well, first of all, we need a fresh commitment to God as our source of life. A fresh commitment to God. We just dive in and say, God, you're it. And there's nothing else. After all, that's what commandment number one and two said anyway. So I'm gonna dive into one and two and it'll help me with number, with number 10. Hebrews 13, five, excuse me, Matthew 6, 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. When we pursue God, as our source of life and contentment and satisfaction and joy, then the, the things of this world, our, our, our heart's desire, he provides those. But our desires change. They get in line with what God wants for us. And when we don't have the things that we thought we needed in our life, we realize it's because God doesn't want me to have that. Maybe ever, maybe just yet, not yet. And so we trust in God. We seek his, his kingdom and his righteousness. And we let God do the rest. Number two, we've got to practice being content with what we have. It takes practice being satisfied. You know that. I mean, when you're driving a car with 150,000 miles on it and the check engine light is on, and when you go to fill it up, you look down and you notice there's some metal stuff sticking out of your tire, okay, and you turn the air conditioner on and it's blowing air, that's it. And then somebody rolls up beside you in a brand new car. All of a sudden, you better believe, you may have been a little bit unsatisfied before, now you're really unsatisfied. You failed to mention that that person next to you may be making $900 a month payments on that brand new car. And six years from now, when he's got metal showing through his tires and his check engine light is on, He's still paying $900 a month. You see, we failed to, 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 to flesh that out, all right? So we've got to learn to, we've got to learn to practice contentment. Hebrews 13, five says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God says, I'll give you a whole lot more. God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you? God says, listen, there'll never be any metal showing through on my tires. My check engine light will never come on. I will never have door dings, okay? God says, I will be with you in all of my fullness and perfection and glory and splendor forever. I will not fade away. There will not be a better model. I will be the same 
for you always. Thirdly, we've got to be devoted to a pursuit of godliness in our life. 1 Timothy 6, 6 says, Godliness combined with contentment bring great profit. Godliness combined with contentment bring profit. Fourthly, we've got to remember that life is not supposed to be about the stuff. How many of you would agree that we live in a world that is pretty much about the stuff? Amen? We all like stuff. We all like new stuff. We all like brighter, bigger stuff. It's the world we live in. Luke 12, 15 says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. This is what scripture says. He tells us from the beginning to the end, be careful how you view the things of this world. Because when we focus on the things of this world, we miss out on the one who created the substance that made all the things of this world. It's like God's saying, listen, you can focus on the stuff or you can step up uh, higher above the stuff and know the one who whispered the matter into existence that made all the stuff. And all of a sudden the stuff seems immaterial in the presence of the God who called all of that into existence. And that's, that's what we're supposed to do. So we've got to learn that our identity and our satisfaction comes from Christ and Christ alone. No matter our achievements, no matter our accomplishments, no matter our assets, no matter our acquisition of things, our identity, our joy, our hope, who we are, all falls in the lap of Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen? Amen. Now, Adrian Rogers said this incredible quote about our stuff. He says, our truest net value is determined by adding up the things we possess that money cannot buy and death cannot take away. That's it. That's so good. That's so articulate and accurate that our net value in life is made up when we sum up or add all of our possessions and include only the things that money can't buy and death can't take away. That's our true value. Because when you and I leave this world, we don't take any of it with us. And none of it matters anymore. <clears throat> Thirdly, we've got to develop a new perspective. We've got to develop a new perspective. Now, our perspective is our attitude or the lens by which we see things in our world. And to get this right, we've got to first view God for who he really is in our life. Of all of the Psalms written in the Old Testament, the 23rd Psalm is the most memorized, the most quoted, and the most preached um, Psalm in all the Bible. And, and, and right out of the chute, David writes this in there. He goes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now I remember, I've gotta be candid here. I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree. And when I was growing up, everybody quoted that. I'd hear it all the time. And every time I'd wonder, why would somebody say that? And why are we celebrating this guy saying, the Lord is my shepherd, and it sounded like saying, I don't want him. And I'm like, why do they like that? It's not saying I don't want him. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, and because of that, I will not want for anything else. Because when I have all there is to have, nothing else matters. 
And that's what he's talking about. You see, he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. He's my guide for life. That shepherd of mine is gonna protect me. He's gonna provide everything I need and many of the things that I want that are desires in my life. He's gonna be there when everything else fails as long as I've got the Lord. As long as I allow him to be my shepherd, I don't need to want for anything else. What about you? Do you want for things? Have you been guilty of wanting things? Sure you have. You don't have to answer it. I have, certainly. And you have to. It's, it's our nature. But it's our old man nature. It's our old sinful nature to desire things that are other people's, to covet that which we do not have, thinking that we would find contentment and satisfaction when we get it. Our world capitalizes on our nature of discontentment by drawing our attention to the newest, the brightest, the best alternatives that are out there. Now, what does that look like today? I'll call it first, let's first look at, since God said look at houses, the American dream, which has become the American nightmare. We live in the strangest economy of real estate I believe that's ever happened. I thought it was strange 2007 when you could borrow more than the house was worth. I thought it was strange when 2008 when everybody lost everything. I find it even stranger today that people five years ago who paid 160000 for a house can now sell those houses five years later, later for 320000 And then they sell those houses and they got a fat sack of cash, which is really cool, but now they can't borrow money for 3.5%. They have to borrow it at 7%. And the house they're buying today is twice as much as what the house they're buying today was five years ago. It is such a messed up real estate market. You believe that's true? Say amen. It's wild. It's crazy. But here's the reason, in part, because of covetousness. You say, what? So the American dream, when my parents were raised, was to have a house with a roof and windows. My mother did not have, she was going to Knoxville Business College, and she still didn't have an indoor toilet at her house. My dad went away to work in Detroit, Michigan in the 60s at Fisher Bodies making auto parts. And when he left home, no indoor toilet in the house. Anybody in here got an indoor toilet? Now at my house, I wonder if we've got them because I have three grandsons. One of them's not old enough to do it yet, but the two, they're happier to stand on the edge of my deck with their underwear down around their ankles. Sometimes I join them. It's a man thing. Except when Juliana tries it. Now, that's the world we live in. You're not going to buy a house. You're not going to look on Zillow and wonder if the house has indoor toilets. Because now that is, that is the new acceptance. That's the new standard. You got to have it, right? But then it goes further. You see, we graduated from outdoor toilets, and I'm, gl- I'm glad we did. Kendra's mother, a grandmother one time, and there was, somebody said, uh, Granny, what was it like living in the good old days? Well, she bowed up fast. She said, the good, this is the good old days. Carrying in coal, that was not good. Carrying water in, going to the outhouse, oh, she unloaded on us, all right? These are the good old days. I want you to, we're living in the good old days, okay? But part of the good old days is being dissatisfied. You see, now we want 
hardwood and granite and we want multiple bathrooms and we want this and that. We're no longer satisfied with what we used to have. Uh, let me give you an example. Anybody in here have central heat and air? <laughs> yeah. The only, the only covetousness that goes on with central heat and air today is coveting control over the thermostat. Because one spouse wants it at 69, and the other one wants it at 71. And although it sounds like only two degrees apart, it's a chasm. One, you're melting away into oblivion, and the other, your eyelids are frosting over two degrees. That's the world we live in. That's the discontentment of the world we live in. He talked about the ox and the donkey. I referred them to vehicles. What about vehicles? Has our satisfaction, our contentment, has that changed a little bit? My first two cars were a 1969 Oldsmobile 442. Second, that was my first car. Uh, that was not two cars. And then my second car was, an, was a 1970 MGB. They both had air conditioning. It was called 240 air conditioning. Roll two windows down, get up to about 40 miles an hour, air's on. Okay? And, and back in the day, if you were looking for a car, if you're my age, you didn't get on uh, Facebook Marketplace because it didn't exist. You didn't get on Craigslist because it didn't exist. You went to the Bargain Mart or the Thrifty Nickel. And when you're looking, they would emphasize these, they would emphasize the details of the car with initials. They would say, PDL, that's not public display of love. That's power door locks. He'd say, PW, power windows. AC, air conditioning. It had all those initials on there. Why? Because you, because you were really uptown if you were getting PDLs and PWs and ACs. And it would sometimes even say AM and FM radio because you somebody, okay? Did anybody get out of their car today with a clicker and go, Ding, ding, wank, wank. That wasn't available. That was not available when I was in school, when I was growing up, okay? But now, you want to know if it's got a fob. Who, who came up with that? What's, what's those letters stand for, okay? That's the world we live in. Would you agree that we have become a little bit spoiled? So how do we recalibrate? We've got a group that are recalibrating as we speak. Clark is with a team in the Philippines, recalibrating. Uh, this week, uh, Keith and Tanya will go to Africa, which they're moving over to Kenya, um, sold their dental practice. They'll get to recalibrate. So all of us should go on a foreign mission trip. Now, you can keep it simple and go to Honduras. You can be there in a, less than a day. Or you can really color outside the lines and go to Kenya or the Philippines. You ought to go see how the rest of the world is living, okay? They don't have PDLs. Because they don't have cars, okay? They literally have oxes and donkeys, if they're lucky, and sheep and goats. They don't have AC and indoor plumbing. They don't have it. You're the richest people in the world. The poorest person in here is richer than the biggest majority of the world. And we are so discontent, always looking for the biggest, the brightest, and the newest. It's everywhere. You know, one of the most popular verses in our culture today 
We see it on football helmets. We see it on baseball bats. We see it on a tattoo. Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a great verse. But in context, do you understand that that verse is talking about how we can accomplish great things in Christ when we have nothing at all? That's what it's talking about. So this great verse in context is in Philippians 4, 10 through 13. It says, I have great joy in the Lord because now at last you have again expressed your concern for me. Now I know you were concerned before but had no opportunity to do anything. Verse 11, I am not saying this because I am in need. He says, for I have learned to be content in any circumstance. Content, there's the word. This is Paul. I have learned to be content in any circumstance. He doesn't stop there. He says, I have experienced times of need and times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment. Even Paul says it's a secret. This thing is a, it's a kept secret. And then he says, whatever, whether I go satisfied or hungry, whether I have plenty or nothing at all, here it is. I am able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, that verse is not about being successful and great accomplishments. That verse is about no matter where I am in life. Good day, bad day. Material provisions or lack. Everything God has placed me on this earth, on this planet to accomplish, I can do it. Because my strength doesn't come from the stuff. My strength comes from Him. And when we get that right, everything changes. Because now on our most lacking day, God is still on his throne. He ain't missing nothing. And he's saying, I'm right here with you. I've got you. And when things are great and we have all that we think we need, God says, I'm, I haven't moved. I don't have any more. I don't have any less. I'm God. It's all mine anyway. And I'm still right here with you. Meanwhile, the sin of covetousness is always screaming at us that I am and what I have is just not quite there yet. It's just not quite good enough. Who I am and what I have is just, it's coming up a little bit short. So for me to become who I think I need to be, I need to have more stuff. And God says, you're missing the secret of contentment. He's saying, Pastor Joel, you're missing the secret of contentment. You find your being. You find your life. You find your value. You find your hope in all of existence in me. And don't worry about all that other stuff. And you'll have some of that, but that shouldn't be the focus of your life. Coveting is to yearn and desire for things that we do not have, that others have. But, but I want you to know, all coveting is not sinful. It's not always wrong to desire things and to have a passion for a passion for something that we don't have yet. Like what? Like 
fruition of the spiritual gifts God has given us. We should covet that. We should passionately desire for God to utilize the spiritual gifts that he's placed within us for them to be used for his kingdom. The the fruits of the spirit that are in us, we should covet them coming out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those should come out. They're already in there. We should covet them being on display in our life. Uh, We should covet an intimate walk with the creator of the universe. We should covet it so much that we read his word every day, that we pray without ceasing every day because we're hungry. We're coveting for something we don't have. And that is a close walk with the God who whispered us into existence. So at the end of the day, We've got to remember this life is short and we're only passing through. You know that? You're just here for a period of time. A dear friend of ours here at the church passed away this week. He'd battled sickness for a long time. Surprisingly, the Lord saw fit this week to take him on to heaven. We don't know when our next day is, but we're just passing through. So rather than focus on the things in this temporary vacation spot, We need to focus on our eternal place. Ephesians 2.19 says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're just hanging out here doing God's work as long as he allows us to. We've got to stop looking around so much. Every day we don't need to look what's sitting in people's driveways. We don't have to drive through fancy subdivisions and say, well, if I had that, well, that's a nice house. Well, it would be nice to live in a house like that. We don't have to do that. But the only way we can move from it is stop looking around on the horizontal plane so much. Raise our heads up and look up to the vastness of God's domain, the heavens. Scripture tells us in Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things above, not the things on this earth. And one day, I want you to understand, everything you have will go away. You'll leave it to your children, and they'll waste it. That's what happens most of all, most of the time. Everything goes away. We don't take anything with us when we go to heaven. But our retirement plan is out of this world. Scripture says in John 14, 3, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Whether we have little or have much on this earth in our life matters zero to God. It really does. If he has our heart, he's adopted our soul into his forever family. He says, we're gonna leave all that behind. I'm building this new thing and you're gonna be with me forever. So focus, look up. Look forward to what you've got in the future and stop worrying so much about the stuff in the now. We saw in Exodus, God told Israel, when you go out to get food today, get your manna, just get enough for today. If you get two days worth, it's going to ruin and have bugs in it. Just, I'm going to take care of you today, one day at a time. Jesus, the disciples said, Jesus, how do you pray? He said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. One day at a time, look to God and let him provide your worth and your value and your contentment and your satisfaction because he's willing 
to do it if we will allow him. So do you want to learn how to be satisfied? There's the three keys, and I believe they're accurate. Define the problem, determine your priorities, and develop a new perspective. And we close Hebrews 12, 2. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That's it. If we got Jesus, we don't need anything else. That sounds like a little bit cliche, but it's true. If we truly, really grasp who we have in Jesus, God's Son, we really don't need anything else. And there's nothing wrong with the other stuff, but it needs to be in the right priority. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for these commandments. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that ministers to us and helps us understand how guilty we really are. And God, sometimes these commandments or these messages seem pinpointed. I feel like they're all for me. But there's other people that think, wow, he's picking on me. God, your word is true for all of us. We're all guilty. Every one of us, we've all coveted. So God, it is in this day, on this day, it is my desire that the one thing of all that someone should covet that maybe others have is a relationship with you. That they should, would desire to know you, to be adopted into your forever family. God, it's my prayer that if there's someone today, maybe they've heard the name of Jesus, maybe they know the stories of the miracles of Jesus, maybe they know about the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection, but they don't know you, God. They've never received Jesus for salvation in their life. It's my prayer today, God, that your Holy Spirit would reach into the depths of their soul and flip that trigger that they never saw coming, where they think, I didn't come here today for this, what's going on? And that thing that's going on is the Holy Spirit inviting them into your family. Pushing through the noise, pushing through the religion, pushing through the habits, pushing through the, to the place where, each, where that person knows the God of the universe has whispered to my soul and invited me into his family. God, I pray then that they would be bold in receiving your gift of grace that they would freely surrender their old self to you and say, God, I know I'm a mess and I can't fix me and I'm gonna stop trying. I'm gonna give all of my mess to you, God. And I want you to start writing a message through Jesus, your son. And God, for the rest of us, maybe we've already done that, but our covet today is We've just been guilty of not being satisfied because we're looking on the horizontal rather than the vertical. We stop looking to the greatness of who you are. God, help us be willing to lay that down and say, God, help me be satisfied with you. Help me be content in this life, knowing that there's so much more I have to look forward to in Jesus. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.